Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. I'm Brendan King with Jimmy Cook and Eddie Garrison. Day after Christmas, we are hanging with you all week, by the way, as we get you to NYE. Hope everybody had a spectacular holiday. On the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. We are always glad to be joined by the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. That is Don Fisher. Fish, nice to go into the Christmas break with a couple dubs against Elon and Kennesaw State. Hope you had a terrific holiday. How are you doing? Uh, it was fun and not, well, it's not technically over yet because I guess today technically is still a holiday, but... Uh, nevertheless, uh, we had a great weekend and uh, a lot of family, and everybody was here at our place, so it was really special. Fish, you've been around the game for a long, long time, and you know you've called a lot of seasons of college basketball, regardless of who you're playing. When you can go into an elongated break, because again, Indiana does not play until January the 5th. That feels like an eternity at Iowa. When you can go into the break with two big wins, just how, what does that do for the confidence and the composure of a basketball team? Well, I, I, you know, obviously I think it helps. There's no question about that. Coming off those two uh, difficult losses to Arizona and Kansas back-to-back and having lost three of their last four prior to the two ball games that they just played, you need to get that confidence level back a little bit. And certainly they were able to establish that against Elon and Kennesaw State. I don't think there's much doubt about that. They've also had three days, I think, to – uh, enjoy their families and and spend the Christmas holiday with uh, friends and loved ones, and uh, they'll be back at it. I think tomorrow uh, will be when everybody gets back and they'll start practicing. So we'll see how it all plays out. But I think the, just getting the confidence back a little bit for these guys was very important. Don, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to you. Uh, to kind of follow up with that, I know you're not going to be able to get a pulse for this until we get into the meat of. Big Ten play when you're comparing, obviously, Kennesaw State and Elon uh, to what the Hoosiers are going to deal with on a night-in, night-out basis. But your initial takeaways with how IU looked without Xavier Johnson uh, just two games now with him being out indefinitely. Well, I think there's no question it's it's going to be a, a transition. It's going to be a different. Uh, I think they're still looking for a lot of different things at this point. Uh, obviously, Trey Galloway started those two ball games that uh, Xavier missed uh, since his injury, and uh, I think he's done a nice job. And there's no question he's going to have a lot more pressure put on him in that regard. Um, and I, I don't think there's any question there's still this team has still got a lot to to learn. Um, more than anything else, Jimmy, right now, in my opinion, this ball club needs to understand going into every ball game, no matter who you're playing you have to have at least matching intensity or better the intensity level than the other team. And I think that's one of the things that's been missing in these losses that they've had. Uh, when you looked at the the Xavier ball game that Indiana played and won at Xavier uh, earlier in the year, you saw Indiana go into that ball game and they had a huge energy at the very beginning that matched everything that Xavier put on the floor. And I don't think we've seen that since uh, that contest. I I think Indiana has – I don't want to say these guys are casual or relaxed, but there just hasn't been that same kind of an intensity level going into each and every contest. And when you're going to play in the Big Ten, 
everybody can beat you. And you've right. got to be able to go in there with that that kind of level of intensity we were and focus all those kinds of things. I guess those are the buzzwords that you <laughs> use when you're looking for a ball club to, to get tougher. But uh, honestly, I think that's what's been missing from this team since that Xavier game. I don't think they've had that same level of focus and intensity then, since then. And I think that is something that they need to regain. And if they're going to compete for the Big Ten championship, they flat out have to have that. It's the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. Don Fisher with us on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and the themowershop.com. Fish, Kennesaw State, Tamar Bates really stepped up, led the team in scoring. Again, that was without Trace Jackson Davis. He got the opportunity. But, you know, 19 points, that matches what he did against Nebraska. He had 22 points earlier in the year against Jackson State. What have you liked about his development as he moves into his sophomore season? I, I think he's more confident, and obviously he doesn't have kind of all the things that he was dealing with a year ago. Um, he lost an uncle. He he uh, he, he had a uh, uh, he had a girl that's pregnant and has a, his child. Uh, they, he went through a lot of stuff last year, and of course he started out nicely, and then he kind of faded away for much of the rest of the season and didn't really show the promise that he had throughout his high school career. He comes back this year. He's totally a different guy in the sense of how he's able to focus now, get ready to play. And he's had a chip on his shoulder about showing people that he is the guy that everybody thought he was coming in after his high school career, which was dramatically good. So uh, I I think uh, Tamar has really understood. He's grown up a lot. I think he's matured. Uh, And I don't think there's any question he's a better basketball player because he spent the offseason trying to improve the things that he needed to. Don, when you look at the Big Ten, I know you're going to, as you always do, evaluate it on a week-by-week basis, but this is always viewed as the, the, the standard bearer of excellence in college basketball. It's always viewed as the top or one of the top conferences. What, have, what has been your just big-picture evaluation on the state of the Big Ten? Obviously, Purdue at the top of the top 25 and still undefeated, but just what type of Big Ten compared to years past that IU can expect as they get into conference play uh, next week? I don't think it's going to be much different than what we've seen. Everybody can beat anybody on a given <laughs> night. I, I think it's a really good league. It's, it's got a, a lot of stars in it, but it has a lot of parity from top to bottom in the sense of how good the conference is. There just isn't anybody that you can let up on. Look what Northwestern did to Michigan State, yeah. that kind of a thing. So, uh, I mean, Penn State is a much better basketball program. Micah Shrewsbury has done a tremendous job there. Purdue looks like the favorite right now based on what they've done here in non-conference play. I mean, what a terrific season they've had thus far under Matt Painter, who continues to to just uh, continually roll out really good basketball teams that uh, surprise people for whatever reason. Uh, apparently, they, they don't think uh, the stock of Matt Painter deserves that. What, I can't believe that they don't, but they don't, which is ridiculous in itself, but I just think this is a really good basketball league. I think they have great coaching. Uh, they have terrific players every year. Every ball club seems to come up with a new guy that turns out to be special. And I, it's a great league, and it's just a fun league to be a part of. It's full because they've proven that they have been vulnerable when they haven't played their best basketball. And let's face it, out of the last uh, five or six ball games, they've only had three or so that have been what we anticipated it would be. 
fish. Mike Woodson had a media availability. I, I forgot what after what game it was, but regardless, he was asked that in the absence of guys like Trace Jackson Davis and Xavier Johnson, the guys that are going to get playing time, especially the young guys, are going to be the ones that practice hard and show him that work ethic. Do you get a sense when you watch practice, and especially in games too, that a lot of the young guys are understanding more that the harder their play, the more time they're going to see the floor? I think there is that. I mean, the young guys, especially guys like C.J. Gunn and Caleb Banks, that haven't seen as much playing time as the other two freshmen. And obviously, Tamar Bates is just a sophomore in this ball club. Uh, I think the younger guys are figuring that part of it out. I think the number one thing of now is they under have to understand how hard and how well they have to play at the defensive end of the floor first. That is Mike Woodson's M.O. He wants defense first. The other stuff is the fun stuff, the scoring and all those kinds of things. And uh, if you can't play the defensive end of the floor, your playing time is simply going to be limited. And I think they do understand that, especially the freshmen and the, and the younger guys that haven't played as many minutes uh, going into this season. And that's all part of learning. And that's all part of the growing process as a college basketball player especially when you're at a place like Indiana where defense has always been one of the things that everybody's talked about first, generally speaking. And I would say that in the absence of Tom Crean's era because, of course, he was very much an offensive guy first. Um, and always his teams were very good offensively, sometimes a little question mark defensively. So, And I, I'm not sure that they were much better in the Archie Miller era in regard to those scenarios as well. So uh, right now, I think this team understands defense is the first priority, and if they can't play good defense, they're not going to play. Don, I know you might not know the answer to this, so if you do, you can just you know give me a, I don't know, Jimmy. I haven't got a chance to ask that question. It's totally fine. But obviously, it seemed like precautionary reason just holding out Trace Jackson Davis against Kennesaw, Kennesaw State and Elon. Um, is, that the, is that the understanding amongst IU that it's just it's an extended absence? I know he's dealing with the back, but just let him rest for a little bit, and then hopefully he's available once we get in the meat and potatoes, the Big Ten? I don't think there's any question that that's the scenario they're dealing with right now. I don't think anybody thinks that this is a long-term issue uh, in regard to his back problems, whatever they might be. I think uh, there's just a precautionary scenario that they're taking place at this juncture because if it's going to be something that becomes chronic, that's the last thing you want. Uh, It's going to be a problem all year long. And I think throughout this period, even this two-week period, where they're not playing games, you're just going to be practicing – I think he's probably going to be limited there, too, unless he shows that he's fully ready to go. I think right now that's the biggest concern that this team has. They've got to get him back healthy again. Don Fisher, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers, taking some time with us. IU gets set to take on Iowa. That's on January the 5th, a little Christmas break and New Year's break for the Hoosiers. Don, hope you had a great Christmas. Enjoy the holiday season. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Fish. Thanks, guys, for having me. Appreciate it. See Thanks, ya. Fish. Voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher on the hotline, brought to you by The Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook and Brendan King coming to you all week long. We get you set for the transition between Christmas into New Year's. 
Our next guest via the Motor Shop in Fishers hotline and the motorshop.com is one JJ Stankovitz, a friend of the show and a member of the Colts media staff that we always appreciate having on, as well as the PA voice of your Indianapolis Colts. Uh, JJ, Brennan was joking about it, so I'll lead off in this regard before we get down to I wasn't brass joking. tacks. I was, well, it was a legitimate question. The question was legitimate, but the, it's third down. You just wanted to say it's third down. Exactly. Let's, let's be real. Like, I mean, everybody no, does. All just, right, listen, listen. If your life dream is not to scream, <laughs> it's third down into a microphone in front of 65,000 people. I don't want it. But a booth of three? Yeah, why not? Okay. Well, but I get to I get to scream it in front of Greg Rakestraw, which is a real highlight. <laughs> oh wow! Even better. I get I get to ruin Greg Greg Rakestraw's eardrums ten times a year. I mean, who who could ask for a better opportunity? <laughs> Any um uh, Monday night for you? Is it does it is it is it special? I mean, I know you you you've always wanted a role like this, and we've talked to you throughout the course of the season, but. Uh, for it to be a primetime game, obviously the telecast only hears you like during replays and, and such. But uh, is it special for you day after Christmas, a little Monday night action as the voice from above? I mean, even when I was, you know, in, in my old jobs as a writer, uh, there's something so cool about Monday night football. You know, you, you grew up watching it. You grew up staying up late on a school night as a kid watching Monday night football. doesn't matter what the record of the team is that – you know, you're, you're covering or you're working for. It doesn't matter the implications of the game or whatever it may be. Monday Night Football is just a cool event. It, it's really cool. I, I love every opportunity I get to watch a Monday Night game in person and now obviously getting to do the PA for it against the Steelers. That was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, it's fun. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's a really fun thing, and it's, you know, it's cool to, you know, have friends around the country be like, hey, wait a minute, you, what are you doing now? And then to hear you uh, on the game. So that's that's pretty cool. Love it, JJ. Uh, hope you had a great Christmas with the kids and the family. Uh, so what you said, I think, resonates because it doesn't matter what your record is on Monday Night Football. You come to compete. And even though things have not gone the way that you would hope, Jeff Saturday, not sure there are more competitive guys than him. Do you think the team has at least been fueled this week by the chance to play spoiler and maybe deal a blow to LA's playoff hopes in terms of what seed they get? I don't think they're super worried about playing spoiler. I think it is more just like you were talking about. They're in front of a national audience. And this year in front of a national audience, I mean, yes, they won in Denver on Thursday night, but that game, you know, there weren't any touchdowns in that game. It was not exactly a showcase for the, the Colts offense. Then you go and you lose to Pittsburgh on Monday night at home. And then you go to Dallas, you give up 33 points in the fourth quarter on Sunday night football. And then in a national standalone window against Minnesota, you give up the biggest lead in NFL history to lose. I mean, the, the guys on this team, their pride has really been challenged this year by their performances in these national spotlights. And it's something that, you know, players have talked about. You know, Zaire Franklin has said it multiple times, like, hey, anytime we get a chance to do this in front of a national audience, we know we want to put on our best effort because – Everyone's watching, and you don't want to get embarrassed in front of a national audience. That's just not something that any of these guys have any interest in. So there is a lot of you know challenges to pride, especially now that the Colts are officially eliminated from the playoffs. Um, you know, hey, you want to go put on a good performance when it's, it's Monday Night Football. You absolutely do, and this is the Colts' final chance to show the rest of the country that hey, you know, we're we are better than the last couple of times we've been in prime time. 
JJ, both from the accepted answer, which is that obviously these guys want to win. They're fighting for jobs. They're fighting for opportunities next year. Jeff Saturday is arguably in an ongoing audition uh, in that head coaching search that will ultimately occur when the season ends. But but switching gears to the players, what does Nick Foles add in terms of comfortability and measurability for this offense is they're trying to to make a good impression but also close the year strong and and get a couple of wins here down the stretch i think the big thing is arm strength even going back to training camp um it it was pretty clear that nick Foles has the the strongest arm in that quarterback room um he can still push the ball downfield a little bit and that's something that is in his dna he is going to be aggressive down the field and you know, Jeff Saturday talked about it that we've got to get safeties to be, you know, fewer, you know, more than seven yards from the line of scrimmage because it's really hard to run the ball when teams are able to drop that second safety into the box and play a lot of single high because they don't think you're going to try to beat them over the top. That's an area where if the Colts can find a solution to push the ball downfield, it'll help everything out with this offense. It'll it'll kind of alleviate some of the pressure that's been on the run game. Um, it'll alleviate some of the pressure, even on the intermediate passing game. If you have to have safeties play a little bit deeper, that's going to be big. Um, you know, it all kind of goes hand in hand. And this is sort of the, you know, all right, you got one more card to play this year, and it's going to Nick Foles. Let's see if this can be something that can show, all right, this offensive structure is not completely broken. There is a solution to it. JJ, let me pose this to you. Nick Foles getting an opportunity here. I know Jeff Saturday said it's a week-to-week deal, and we have clearly seen that anything can happen with this football team this year. Let's say Foles starts the rest of the way, and he plays well. Does he then cement himself as the best backup in the league? Uh, whew, that's a good question. I mean, there are a lot of good backups in the NFL. You know, Teddy Bridgewater, Jacoby Brissett. Uh, those are two names that come immediately to mind. But I think any, you ask anyone around the NFL – uh, you know, to name some of the best backups. And Nick Foles is going to be on that list no matter how he does down the stretch here. Um, just the, the veteran presence he brings, the gravitas he brings. I mean, everyone who has played with Nick Foles, even if you haven't practiced with him a whole lot, they know what he did in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. They know his career of coming off the bench and having success and putting his guys in the, the best position to succeed. Um, you know, that that is all stuff that Guys around the league know, and, and they notice that. So I, I think the, the question for Foles going forward is what is his role on the Colts? Because I believe he's under contract next year. Yes. So, yep. you know, do you, do you view this as a three-game audition of, okay, hey, you're going to be on this team next year. We don't know what your role is going to be yet, but we value your skill set enough that, hey, we want to have you back. And, you know, maybe if it's to pair with a young quarterback, um, you know, having a veteran in Nick Foles who's been in the league for, you know, over 10 years, not, not the worst thing. Um, you know, a lot of decisions still to be made, certainly, and this is all just speculation right now. But um, I do think there's an opportunity for Nick Foles to show something to the Colts over these last three games. J.J. Stankovitz taking some time with us via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline and themotorshop.com for all your residential and commercial mowers as well as snowblowers, parts, equipment, and so much more. Motor Shop has you covered at the Motor Shop and Fishers, motorshop.com. You can follow J.J. on Twitter at J.J. Stankovitz, PA announcer for your Annapolis Colts, as well as on Colts.com and the Colts Audio Network. J.J., looking at tonight and over these final three games of the season, 
what will this tandem of, of Zach Moss and Deion Jackson bring to the table in terms of how the Colts are viewed in the running back room with Jonathan Taylor done for the year? Yeah, I think the Colts liked what they saw out of Zach Moss last week. I know the, the final stats didn't really bear it out, 24 carries for 81 yards, but talking to Ryan Kelly this week, he said he, he liked that downhill physical mentality that Zach Moss ran with where, I mean, we, and, and this is not anything that we haven't seen differently this year, but he was getting hit, you know, within a line or two of the line of scrimmage, but he was able to churn those into three, four, five, six-yard gains. Um, and that's something that impressed the Colts. They want to see a little bit more out of him. You know, Deion Jackson, we've seen a little bit more of him this year. Uh, really good pass-catching running back. He's got some burst to him. He's got some pop. Um, you know, maybe a, a, an interesting opportunity for both of those guys because those are two guys, too, who are, are – you know, that you talked about it earlier about, hey, you know, you, what you put on film is going to determine a lot of what your role may be going forward, whether it's with the Colts or not. Both those guys are auditioning for roles on this Colts team in 2023. They are both under contract next year. So uh, that's going to be something that you definitely want to keep your eye on over these last three games. JJ, I know it is probably part of the game script on October the 16th, but Deion Jackson had those 10 catches, and be it they were little dump-offs or bubble screens, whatever. He had 10 catches for 79 yards. Now that Nick Foles is the quarterback, and maybe Foles is a little bit more comparable to the traits of Matt Ryan as opposed to Sam Ellinger, do you think that play will be available tonight for Deion Jackson, maybe those bubble screen action from Foles, those little dump-off plays? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, that's absolutely available. Um, you know, that, that game against Jacksonville was such a, a different type of way to play um, where the Colts had Matt Ryan drop back was at 58 times and threw a lot of quick game as an extension of the running game, and a lot of that was those dump-offs to Deion Jackson. You know, the Chargers don't have as menacing of a front I think as the Jaguars had at that point of the season, Khalil Mack is obviously a fantastic player, a pro bowler, deservedly so. But no Joey Bosa on the other side of him. Um, you know, maybe the Colts can try to get more of those downfield shots. But again, I mean, if, if it turns out that you do need to dump the ball off to Deion Jackson, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten times in a game, he has shown he can make something out of that. JJ, to Brendan's point, and you kind of already mentioned his name there, but when you look at the matchup between, even though it won't be all night, Khalil Mack and Bernard Ryman, the, the question mark throughout the entire offseason when you get past the, the big elephant in the room, which is what's going to happen at quarterback, is is Ryman the answer at left tackle or do they go a different direction? He's looked better. Pro Football Focus has acknowledged that over his last, uh, I think four of his last five from your uh, game preview notes on Colts.com. How do you monitor that in terms of your storylines moving forward, and what do you need to see out of Ryman, not just tonight against Mac whenever he draws him, but over these final three? Yeah, Jimmy, it's a, it's a really good point because, I mean, facing Khalil Mack is, is another really stiff challenge for Ryman, and, and the Chargers move Mack around from the left and the right. He splits time on either side, um, but he's got every move in the toolbox. Uh, you know, when I covered him in Chicago, it was, it was remarkable watching how he went about his work and how he set up his rushes. I think you want to see Bernard Ryman just play with good technique over the course of an entire game and acknowledge that, all right, yeah, Khalil Mack might beat him a couple of times because Khalil Mack will beat anyone in the NFL a couple of times. But over the course of, you know, 40, 50 dropbacks, whatever it may wind up being, 
does Bernard Ryman hold up? Does he does he avoid penalties? Does he avoid getting beat one on one? You know, a significant number of times. And you know, how does he do in the run game? He, Bernard Ryman's been pretty good in the run game too. In addition to how he's been in the pass game. And at the very least, if you're zooming out and looking at this big picture, if Bernard Ryman can continue to play how he's played over the last four or five games to close out the season, that's going to give the Colts a, a really interesting evaluation going into the offseason of what do you do there? Did Bernard show you enough that he could be your left tackle? Do you need to bring in some veteran competition? If someone falls to you in the right spot in the draft, do you still go out and get that person? I think, you know, before the Colts even get into that, you have to consider that every option is on the table. But there is a world where the Colts get through the end of the season, they go and evaluate how Bernard Ryman played and said, yeah, we think with another offseason of development, this guy absolutely could be our long-term left tackle. He's got to continue to hold up. He's got to continue to make progress. And um, the the best thing right now is that we're even having this discussion about Bernard right. Ryman. That is a thing that we are having this discussion about hey, he's playing pretty well. If he can keep it up, maybe that can lead to him being the long-term solution at left tackle. JJ, in your mind, how special of a talent is Justin Herbert? <laughs> I mean, you're talking about like the, the, the pure arm talent and some of those throws that he can make. Like that one, uh, what was it, last week, where he was rolling to his right and he, he threw the game winner against Tennessee, just like this dart down the sideline that he's able to layer in between the safety and the cornerback. And it's just like, there, there are not many quarterbacks in the history of the NFL, in the history of this sport, that could make that throw. Um, he, is a, he is a remarkable player, a remarkable just quarterbacking talent. Um, you know, it, the, the fact that the Chargers, with kind of you know some flaws on their roster, they've had a ton of injuries that have hit them. The fact that they are in position to make the playoffs is a credit to Justin Herbert and the way that he's been able to play, even in some of these games where it's been sloppy. It hasn't been maybe what everyone thought it would look like, but he's still able to drag the Chargers out of some of these games and into some victories that look like they're going to get into the playoffs right now. JJ, in that same end, how critical is it for the Colts to establish a consistent pass rush against Herbert? I know I don't have the number in front of me, but I know that he's been let down in that regard of the last six, seven weeks of the season compared to how it started. If the Colts are going to walk out of Lucas Oil, with the W uh, on Monday Night Football, how important is pass rush going to be in that formula to try to prevent the Chargers from clinching a playoff spot tonight? Yeah, the number is uh, 21 sacks over his last five games for Justin Herbert. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. It has not been very clean recently, but the Chargers still 3-2 in those games. Right. Um, which, again, kind of goes back to just how good of a player Justin Herbert is. I think the big thing... You want to, you want, obviously you want to get him to the ground, but if you can get consistent pressure on him and you know, keep him contained in the pocket where he can't get outside, he can't hit some of those throws that just make you, you know, curse and awe, um, that's going to be the big key. It, it's going to be more about that consistent pressure. That's something Gus Bradley talked about this week, that yes, the Colts had, I believe it was seven sacks against the Vikings, but in certain moments, in big spots in that game, they were not able to get the kind of pressure on Kirk Cousins that they hoped to get. So sometimes those sack numbers can be a bit of a mirage just in terms of how consistent your pressure was. I think the Colts would take, you know, more consistent pressure on Herbert and only two sacks over inconsistent pressure but five sacks. Hmm. 
JJ, with how the Chargers use Austin Eckler, and again, their wide receiver core is just as dangerous, but just with Eckler seemingly being at a different spot on the field, possibly every play, is it concerning that the Colts don't have Kenny Moore tonight? I think it's always concerning when you don't have Kenny Moore the second. Um, he, he's just such a, a solid football player, especially when he, he's able to kind of insert against the run. Um, you know, Julian Blackman has been pretty solid in that slot role. He had pick six last week. Um, the Colts wanted to find a way to get both him and Rodney Thomas on the field, um, you know, with Kenny Moore the second out. So, yeah, I mean, but that, that's a matchup. You're absolutely right to identify that, that Kenny Moore the second's ability to cover a guy like Austin Eckler in those situations would have been a really big asset for the Colts in this game. Um, obviously, you know, with Kenny, he hasn't been placed on injured reserves, so the Colts are hoping he can still come back at some point this season with that ankle. Um, obviously, he'd love to have him out here in this game, but hopefully he will be back in one of these final two games. JJ, there's no guarantee whenever you're trying to solve the quarterback puzzle because on the one hand, you look at young quarterbacks like Burrow, Mahomes, Allen, Herbert tonight, and it's been a franchise that has gotten to go get a quarterback and it's a drafted talent and it's worked out perfectly for them. But you look at the Zach Wilson drama uh, in New York, Kyler Murray has had flashes of greatness and other flashes of head scratchingness. And obviously he's injured now, but when you look at an organization like the chargers who in terms of playoff contention, they were in the same boat as the Colts to start the year and a team that might be able to win their division, but we're going to have to play really well to do it. Chargers still have an opportunity, can clinch tonight with a win. I guess it's a long way of asking, what is the model of today's NFL and what the Chargers have been able to do with a young quarterback show as that a potential path for the Colts this offseason or beyond, depending on what they do with their draft pick? I actually think you can make the case that the Chargers in drafting Justin Herbert followed the Colts' example when they drafted Andrew Luck, sure. where they got really bad for one year. And they moved on from the veteran quarterback who had had you know, a ton of success over the course of his time there, but still had a pretty good infrastructure in place. You still had Keenan Allen. You just drafted Mike Williams. Um, you know, you, you developed a guy like Austin Eckler. And then you dropped Justin Herbert into that, and all of a sudden the Chargers are good again, quickly. Um, you know, it didn't happen as fast as it happened with the Colts with Andrew Luck, but I think that's kind of your similar comparison there that – Justin Herbert got dropped into a situation with good infrastructure on offense, good talent around him, and was able to step in pretty quickly and, and be an effective, good NFL quarterback. I think that's sort of the, the, the thing you always need to look at with these guys is situation matters a lot of course, when yep. it comes to young quarterbacks. It, it's not just how talented are they. Can they make these incredible throws in their pro day like Zach Wilson could? It's do you have the talent around you? Do you have the coaching infrastructure around you to make these guys be successful from day one? It doesn't always have to be perfect in year one. I mean, we've seen, you know, even look at a guy like Justin Fields where the Bears this year are, are, are going to be picking first or second overall, but you're seeing signs of progress in Fields after a kind of a lost year as a rookie. But I think you need to find that quickly um, with, with these rookie quarterbacks or you can't string them along like you could in the past where, you know, Aaron Rodgers could sit for two, three years. Philip Rivers could sit for two, three years. You really got to do it in the first probably two years because once you get into that year three, then after that year they're up for extensions. You start thinking about what their long-term future is with your franchise. And 
if you don't have the right pieces in place around that quarterback, it, it is hard for rookie quarterbacks to be that sort of, you know, raising all boats type guy. That's not easy for rookies to do. You only find a handful of guys who can do that. So, it, you know, again, it, it all goes hand in hand. You can't just have the quarterback or you can't just have everything else around the quarterback but not have the quarterback, um, which is a long-winded way of saying this is not an exact science. Right. And it is, it is hard to find that, that franchise-level quarterback that we here in Indianapolis have been blessed with finding twice in the last right. couple of decades. Right. Uh, that is not easy to do, and most teams in the NFL do not find that guy. JJ, last thing from me, I was at home for Christmas, so it was rather chilly, and of course the Bears played that just tundra game against the Bills. You mentioned it in the interview earlier, and for those that don't know, you came from Chicago here to Indy to the Colts, but uh, I'm sure you were thankful that you did not have to park your car and walk in negative 30 beside the lake to get in the Soldier Field on Saturday. Let me, let me tell you that there are a lot of reasons why I'm thankful to be in Indianapolis. And um, one of them, I guess, would be, yeah, not having to park my car. Although the Bears actually, they do an, an uh, uh, underground garage. Wow. Only for the A-listers, though. I don't get that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. But, you know, then you're not really tough. You know, you're not walking <laughs> out a lot. You're all the tailgaters with their shirts off. And they're staying warm with hot yard Mara, And that's it. I mean, it's. It's a scene there in Chicago. JJ, last thing on my end, I know you'll be behind the mic, but obviously uh, kids have plenty of memories going to games and being a part of stuff, particularly when it's around the holidays and has a nice seasonal feel to it. We've got the blue out. i got a Colts light show. It's a great opportunity in general if you're looking for something to do on a Monday post-holiday uh, with the kiddos and everything, no? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, the game's sold out, so right. you know, tough ticket for this one, but I mean, look, anytime, you know, how, I mean, how long did we go between night games at Lucas Oil Stadium? Yeah. Take, the, take advantage of this. If you got tickets to this game, this is going to be good. I mean, the, the light show is really cool. Seeing it in that game against Pittsburgh, it is, it's really neat. It's a really cool effect that we do at halftime uh, and then for player intros. So definitely show up early for this game, get in your seat, you know, go get, a, go get yourself a beverage and uh, sit back and enjoy what should be a good night of football. JJ, have fun behind the mic. Always appreciate you taking time for us, and I know we'll talk to you as the season continues to unfold, my friend. All right. Happy Boxing Day, guys. Happy Happy Boxing boxing Day, Day, baby. Yes. JJ Stegovitz on the hotline, brought to you by the Motor Shop in Fishers and themotorshop.com. You can follow him on Twitter at JJ Stegovitz. That's at at J-J-S-T-A-N-K-E-V-I-T-Z. Making some time for us on the Motor Shop in Fishers hotline. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You know, in Boston and Miami, this was playing for the away team. Pacers back-to-back dubs on the road. Road trip finishes up tonight against the Pelicans, but maybe the Zion Williamless. Less Pelicans. Zion Williamson is doubtful per our guy Scott Agnes, who joins us now from Fieldhouse Files on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and the Mowershop.com. Scotty, good to have you. Aaron Neesmith and Jalen Smith questionable for the Pacers, but for New Orleans, a little bit more concerning. Brandon Ingram already ruled out, as was Herb Jones. And as you said, Zion Williamson doubtful. How does that affect this game? Yeah. 
Good afternoon, guys. Good to be on with you, first of all. But, yeah, that, that changes kind of the feel of the game, right? Many in around the league want to maybe perhaps insert Zion Williamson into an MVP conversation, both with the way he has been playing with New Orleans being atop the West for much of the first 30 games here of the season. So without them, first of all, the interest level, much different, certainly, I think, because the, the allure that is Zion, the, his uniqueness. But then that changes kind of that, that feel of the game when you remove their leading score and um, makes things a little bit more interesting for a Pacers team that is playing well, coming off two big road wins, and uh, has a mostly clean bill of health here uh, as we enter the new year. Scott, I've asked this to the varying different people on the Pacers beat or that work with the Pacers over this stretch, so I want to get your thoughts on it as well. Every time I feel like I have this team figured out or I feel like where they're <laughs> trending in terms of the lottery or being a playoff team, they, they make me look the other way and be like, wow, I was totally wrong on that. Where Where is your level of, of analysis on this team where they look to now potentially sweep a road trip and and be still very much in the thick of things uh, within the Eastern Conference through a third of the season. Yeah, the best part for us, certainly in the media, is they're always interesting. Right. That's what you want. They're always interesting. They're always relevant and keeping us on our toes, to be sure. Um, yeah, right now, technically, they would be in that playoff race. And the more they keep playing, the more they want to prove us wrong, right? Like we keep saying, yeah, they're, they're probably an outside team looking forward to next year. Even the executives there saying, hey, you know, this, we got to keep our eye on the, on the future. This is not about this year, the short-term wins or losses. We're going to judge this to the way in which they're playing and progressing. Well, they have progressed a, a ton. We're seeing a lot of individual development with certain guys. I mean, number one, you start with Tyrese Halliburton, who has completely changed the landscape of this franchise and all the players. He's just beloved in that locker room, and, and I think those outside of it really appreciate what he's been doing. But I still believe they're not a playoff team, and maybe that will change too in a, um, towards that route even more so come the trade deadline here in mid-February because the Pacers have so many options at their disposal. But right now they have been playing playoff-level basketball. Scotty, we were talking about it, Jimmy and I, when the Pacers beat the Warriors at home, the next five-game stretch, which was Cleveland, New York, Boston, Miami, and New Orleans, I said if the Pacers can go 3-2 and two in that stretch, you could really get a feel of what you have on the positive side. But if I told you, Scotty, that you lose at Cleveland and then you lose against New York and you still have the ability to go 3-2 and two in those five games, would you have believed me? Yeah, I mean that this you would take this. You're absolutely right, and especially that Knicks game. I mean that that Heartbreaker. stings, right? They were they were up, they were leading, and then they totally hit a wall and crashed and and gave gave that one one away essentially, just the way in which they've played. And I think that's been one of the key points to the negative side of what we've seen this season is is in closing time they're still figuring that out, both who takes over, but also not forgetting to play together. I think that's maybe the biggest thing is guys are taking it themselves. They're getting into ISO ball. They're launching three-pointers, and the ball's not moving, and that's been one of the biggest issues whenever they have lost because you talk about this last stretch of, I think, seven games. They've all been decided by six points or less. So they're not blowing teams out, and they're not getting blown out. It's coming down to the end of the games. And the Pacers are still kind of in flux figuring out everything uh, and, and the chemistry and the way in which they play, too, because we, we're seeing a lot more of Aaron Neesmith 
lately than we are of, say, uh, Jalen Smith. And, and right now, last year's first-round pick in Isaiah Jackson, he's been firmly planted on the bench. He hadn't gotten much playing time because other players are doing well. Scott Agnes taking some time with us on the Motor Shop and Fishers Hotline, the motorshop.com for your residential and commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, power equipment, tools, and so much more. The Motor Shop has you covered at the Motor Shop and Fishers and the motorshop.com. Scott, for the last, I don't know, four or five years, maybe more, the Miles Turner, what's going to happen with him conversation has been hand-in-hand with with DeMontis Sabonis, obviously they part ways with Sabonis uh, at the deadline last year, but the Turner conversation continued to be a point where, okay, they got to trade him, otherwise they're going to lose him this year. And then while we were away on the holiday, um, I, I know you had covered it as well, but Shams Tarani of, of The Athletic mentioning that the Pacers and the Turner and Miles Turner camp have opened up contract discussions on potentially a new deal. What is motivated in your mind this shift in that where it looked like either Miles might want to go somewhere else or the Pacers might want to cut bait for fear of losing him and knowing what type of player that he is and where do we go from here in terms of their contract extension? Sure, yeah. As you mentioned, there's a lot of layers to all right. this. First of all, I always say he was started to be included in trade deals in earnest. It wasn't five, six years ago, even though it absolutely feels like right. it was the summer of 2020 when Gordon Hayward wanted to come to Indy, when the Pacers wanted to get him here, and Danny Ainge didn't believe that Gordon would leave him and Brad Stevens, and so he didn't agree to anything, and then he lost Gordon Hayward. That's where he was first offered in, in earnest. I guess um, I meant so rumor then, mills to, to clarify, just no, to get in front sure. of that. But yes, yeah, I appreciate oh, you're that. you're absolutely right. I just like clarifying sure, no, that because of course. in general – People are like, you know, do the Pacers even want him? They've been, no, they really haven't been shopping him. Right. They've been listening to offers because there have been other teams interested and nothing, obviously, of significant interest and, um, you know, assets willing to be sent this way or they probably would have pulled the trigger. Where it stands right now, I don't read into anything too much in this last week because keep in mind, Miles hired a new agent. So if anything, it's on the front office and that agent to get on the same page with his new client to understand maybe are there new priorities or is he going to try to go about it in different ways because there are a number of different ways this could go um, in terms of do they trade him because I believe they they have to either know that they can extend him or have a contract extension, as you said, or trade him because you can't lose a first-round pick as good as Miles for nothing. It's exactly the same scenario as Victor Oladipo was several years ago, which is Victor was coming off that big injury, right, and wanted out. So they knew he wasn't going to resign. With Miles, he's never said he wanted out. He's never said that he doesn't want to resign here. He just now appreciates how he's being played, how he's playing in his natural five position, how he's being utilized more, and he feels more part of the team once again. And, and to the larger point, Tyrese Halliburton has changed the way the locker room and the team is gelling, the way that the vibe of the team is. Um, and, and Miles is reaping those benefits. So I think – all along, he's been interested in returning if the price is right and if he likes his role with the team. And I think right now that remains the case. But it, mean, it does not mean by any means that he will be back because I'm not sure what number the Pacers would be willing to pay at this juncture. And maybe they don't either. That's what they have to decide on and then maybe bring it to Miles as representatives and see if they get anywhere. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
Scott Agnes is with us from Fieldhouse Files on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Scott, sticking on the trade front, I think the other guy that is most rumored about is Buddy Heald. I love Buddy on this team, and I love how much fun, seemingly, they all have together and how he kind of leads that charge. I mean, since he played at Oklahoma, I mean, the guy has been smiling on the basketball court every minute of every game. But is he becoming too important to the team that it would be too difficult to let go of him? First of all, I agree with your first point. You're absolutely right. Since he left Sacramento, there's that joy again. And he's a true basketball guy. And you can see that coming out of him. And I really like the way in which he plays alongside Halliburton. They've talked about their brotherly brotherly relationship. You see him in disgust with one each other, uh, you know, at, during a play, but then they hug each other the next one or whatever. Like, it's a great um, relationship with them. In terms of Buddy, I think it all comes down to what kind of offers you can get here because um, the other thing here is the Pacers front office can't lose sight of the bigger picture. This is not a championship contending roster this year. It may not be next year, and that's when Miles, or excuse me, Buddy would come off the books. He's under contract one more season, so there's not an urgency like there is with Miles to decide by this trade deadline. If they, you know, they could get through this season with Buddy and see what the summer looks like. Maybe the Lakers um, are interested once again. And why that is, I bring that up again, is more relevant um, maybe than any other team beyond the need out there. His buddy's agent was Rob Polinka, who now has run the Lakers for the last five, six, seven years. So mm-hmm. there's also that longtime history and likability with one another. However, there is something special about Buddy. Rick Carlisle loves shooters. He likes the way in which Buddy plays. And I think the other thing he has been stressing about Buddy and all of his players is let's not let's not get down on maybe what they can't do. Let's highlight and praise what they they are doing, how they are contributing. So there are times when Buddy's defense is not good, or it's it's not what they need. But at the other end, he's making five threes a game, and I think that's while in this development process, this growth stage, that's one thing they're trying to emphasize. But I don't think he's a player they're necessarily shopping. But I, I don't think you hold firm with him. Just because he just turned 30, he's going to be in a contract near next year. So that is someone probably next on the priority list that you would have to consider. Scott, there were a lot of Pacers fans, just Pacers personnel in general, that were thrilled with the acquisition of Tyrese Halliburton when the trade went down. NBA pundits across the board talked about how you know he, he, he's he's a nugget in Sacramento. This is a great find by the Pacers. You had flashes of of brilliance after the deadline last year, but now as you have young rookies into play and you have, a like you mentioned, the chemistry across the board, even with Miles Turner and feeling more involved in the offense, has Halliburton surprised you still, even with just how impressive he is on a nightly basis and the instant growth around this team, not just by him, but by this rookie class? throughout the first third of the year? Yeah, Jimmy, I think so. Uh, I think it's it's the ways in which he's impacted the team. It's I, I would say, number one, I'm most surprised at, at the level in which he's already had an impact in the locker room. For example, I was at the G League Showcase this last week, talked with Terry Taylor, who had the best showcase out there. And in general, we were just talking about the Pacers. And what he brought up was only Tyrese. I, you know, what's working? He goes, Tyrese, he's changed everything. Um, he makes things fun. He, we get along because of Tyrese. I don't think any of us, even the front office, could have foreseen that level of impact. We knew the assist. We knew his, his unconventional shot. 
but yet how frequently it goes down. Um, I, I think it was still to be um, shown what he looked like in crunch time, how he handled himself, what his disposition, to use the word Rick likes, um, what he looked like in those spots. The, the other ways in the locker room, and I think his his ability to bounce back. Remember, he had a couple bad games. Maybe he had that one that one point zero field goal game against Miami, and then what did he do last game? He bounced back and had the best game of his career, despite the Heat playing him the same way. Those are things that elite players do, and that's why he surprised me. Scott saw your tweet about Daniel Tice that he was at shoot around, seemingly with a basketball and participating. Is it viable that he can play for this team this year? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think probably next month is most likely. Uh, if fans don't remember, he came to camp. He got here a little late, had a um, COVID scare, which ended up not being anything, just a false positive, which kept him out the first couple days of training camp after he really didn't have an off season, And that's ultimately what was his detriment, is he had a bad knee that he probably should not have played on. But who are you going to tell – uh, to not play for their country, which could be for his last time. And so he trying to trudge through that. Um, the knee didn't get any better. Ultimately, he and, and the Pacers decided for him to have a, a quick in-and-out outpatient surgery to kind of relieve the swelling and pain. That's what has kept him off the court for the first 35 games here. Um, but beginning now, he's starting to rejoin his teammates on the court and start to ramp up his activity to which I think you could start seeing him maybe here in the next three or four weeks, late next month, perhaps. As he really wants to play. And, and the other thing I can tell you is his kind of feel for this team in this situation has changed a lot in the last three or four months. He was kind of disappointed, right? And how could you blame him? Moving from a finals runners-up team with the Boston Celtics where he really emerged and became the player he is, um, through that system, to a team who no one was expecting to win 25, 30 games, maybe, um, to now I think he's really excited to see where he can make an impact. Scott, I know you kind of hit it on it a little bit ago, and it's not as always, I don't want to say covered because you were out there, but it's not as always consumed by the casual NBA fan because it's not the stars of today. But the G League Showcase, one of the great events that the league has to offer. You mentioned Terry Taylor averaging around 37 and 10 during the two-game showcase out there. Uh, just your overall, you said you talked to him and you mentioned Tyrese, but your overall takeaways from him and kind of what he is as a member of the Mad Ants within the Pacers farm system. Yeah, this is a situation, Jimmy, where he just, like several other guys on the Pacers, was not getting any playing time. And he wants to play, and also you want to get back into game rhythm, game shape, which you kind of lose when I think he had played five minutes all this month. That's nothing. And so even the first two in those two games out there, you could see him, you know, second quarter in, he's jogging back, you know, trying to catch, catch his breath. <laughs> right. He admitted he was gassed, which we've all been there if, if we've played, is if you haven't played in a while, you are really feeling it. So, one, it's, it's acknowledged that he's too good for the Mad Ants and is just trying to earn a regular spot with the Pacers. Like I wrote even this past week, that should probably be his last G League ball. We saw him dominate Summer League. We saw him again dominate the showcase once again, had the most points of anyone out there and led the Mad Ants to a 2-0 record. Um, but that's a good opportunity for him and others. We saw it two weeks ago with Chris Duarte coming back from injury. He was able to play a couple games with the Mad Ants and find that game rhythm shape and really get the mental side of that ankle injury beyond, beyond him before coming back with the parent company and the Pacers. But the, for fans that may not know, the showcase is huge in terms of a lot of trades first being discussed, almost 
really every team has executives out there. The Pacers' entire, basically, you know, top ten front office people were all out there, both looking for guys for ten days, um, evaluating rosters maybe for the summer. And, and the key thing here is they're not looking for superstars in the G League. Those guys would already be in the league. They're looking for maybe a guy that can be a rotation player for the next five or seven years, or at least help in the interim with a ten-day contract. So it's very valuable time for the front office and for those fringe NBA players. Scott, last thing. So Pacers and the Pelicans tonight, but it's a back-to-back. They're home tomorrow at 7.30 to play the Hawks. And, Scotty, that's a game where Atlanta and Indiana have the same record. They're tied for seventh in the East. So how enticing of a game is that, kind of some pre-New Year's Eve action tomorrow? Yeah, I love it because of the multitude of storylines, too, beyond what you just referenced. I mean, you got Nate McMillan coming back, which is which I always enjoy. you got the Trey Young, for those that like offense see what he he's able to produce um, against the Pacers. You got the just Justin and Aaron Holiday who are both part of that Hawks team. And then for the Pacers, they've they've exceeded expectations on back to backs. Um, they've done really well in those tough situations, which is another area they have surprised me this season. Maybe it's fresh legs or or, or, or inexperience where they don't know any better and just come out and play hard. So um, it's an important one for them tonight, first against one of the best teams in the league. And then to see how they respond tomorrow against the home fans, which would certainly provide a boost at the Fieldhouse. Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files. Scotty, we appreciate the time. Hope you had a great Christmas, man. We'll talk soon. You bet. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Scott Agnes on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and the Mowershop.com. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Colts Chargers Monday Night Football. Helping you in the first day on the transition from the Christmas holiday to New Year's. Thank you for joining us here on the Fan Midday Show. Hope you had a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays. Wish the same as well to our next guest, the Vice President of the ISC Sports Network, Voice of the Indy 11, and in this particular medium, the post-game host for the Colts Radio Network, one Greg Rakestraw. Rake, hope that you and the family had a very Merry Christmas and a Happy Holiday, sir. We did, and then uh, my hibernation is officially over as of about 6.30 uh, <laughs> with uh, Colts and Chargers, and then... That starts a stretch of 10 straight days of the sporting event that I'll be yapping about on radio or television. I wouldn't want to have it any other way. Very happy to hear that. Always appreciate seeing you throughout the city, whether it's on the high school front or with the Colts or the Indy 11. And we'll get to want to give a shout out to ISC towards the back end of this. But first, sticking with the Colts, Greg, you and me and Brendan have kind of joked about this in a way the last couple of weeks regarding the state of the South. And you've stressed to us that the South Road doesn't matter with the Colts ongoings, but just your takeaway from the playoff hopes finally being put to bed and and this final stretch stay away from Colts Chargers for a second but just Titans Jaguars as they push for the finish in a place that we all hope the Colts would be when the year started yeah the math finally tells us what our eyes have told us for some time it's, this is not a playoff team you know you almost had to include that caveat now technically the Colts have not been eliminated well courtesy of the Jaguars on Thursday night now we can put that to bed and everything for this football team should be about, you know, 2023. 
I'm not sure that transition has officially been made. Um, you know, the injury of Jonathan Taylor makes it that way for him. There are some other guys where I go, hey, I, I, I know what this guy's role is going to be. I'm not trying to see that player uh, again in 2022. Obviously, there is a change of quarterback. It's, it's not the direction I think I would have gone in terms of who's going to get the nod, but I at least respect something different uh, at this point, which we will see in, in, in Nick Foles. Uh, we'll see how that plays out this evening. But again, now there is no doubt. Everything and everybody can say, all right, we're trying to put ourselves in the best position for 2023 as possible. Now with three inconsequential games left to go in this season. Hey, Rick, inconsequential, as you said, but what can they most gain out of the next three weeks? Uh, draft picks uh, would be one of them. <laughs> um, or, 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 or lose them, depending on, on how it goes. No, it's, it's going to be a broken record because you've heard me say it the last couple of weeks. You know, I want to see as many young guys out there as possible. As many guys that, again, you've got a good feeling um, that, hey, these are going to be on the roster next year. Guys are on their rookie deals. I want to see Alec Pierce be featured. Uh, I want to see Mike Strawn and Desmond Patman be featured. Uh, again, because of injury, you're going to get a good look at Deion Jackson and Zach Moss. And, you know, let's face it, you know, Jackson's the guy that's been under contract at least one more year, if not two. So, you know, you would think Jackson would be the lead guy, but you'd never know. Um, but again, I, I want to see, I want to see the young guys pop. This reverts back to a preseason game, to be honest with you. Um, it, it is now, all right, what future building blocks do you have here? This is all data collection. This is all an, 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 an expedition mission, uh, you know, for the Indianapolis Colts at this point. Rake, we talk about how over the course of the season that, or the course of the midway point of the season or so when the firing of Frank Reich occurred and when Jeff Saturday was named interim, that it's an audition for him, but we talk about also that everybody's fighting for their jobs and trying to continue to show they belong in the National Football League. For weeks and weeks, the defense has been the crown jewel of this team. And then, again, it wasn't all their fault, but they were spotted a 33-point lead yeah. up in Minnesota and, and gave it away. Gus Bradley, regardless of what happens coaching-wise, has an opportunity to reestablish this defense as, hey, we're not part of the problem. And he has a familiar quarterback on the other side of the field in Justin Herbert, who he experienced matchups with while with the Raiders. How big is this matchup in general on the defensive side of the ball and for Gus Bradley's group to remind everybody that, hey, this is a defense that has been pretty solid all year and perhaps the last two weeks have, have just been a bad anomaly? That would be nice. But at the end of the day, they're not going to be a playoff team. Right. So, 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 again, you always want to go out there and put on a good show, put on a good performance, not give up 33-point leads, not give up 33 points in the fourth quarter. So, yes, there is a point of pride as to how you go out there and perform on a week-by-week basis. But, again, it, it doesn't change the overarching fact that defense has not been the problem until maybe the last couple of weeks or the second half of games in the last couple of weeks. But I still think when you look at things overall in the big picture, you have more, not question marks, but answers. And knowing that the way you look this year on defense is largely going to be the way that you look next year on defense. Could there be a coaching change? Yes. Could there be a scheme change? Yes. Could there be a philosophy change? Perhaps. But really, it comes down to, you know, the, the difference is going to be, do you bring back Bobby O'Karake? 
Do you bring back EJ Speed? Just what sort of role is Shaquille Leonard going to play? Other than that, the pieces as you have them constructed are largely going to be the pieces that you have next year for this defense. And so, again, that, that's why I revert to, I want to see what the young guys can do. Because even with the way they've struggled in the second half of the last couple of weeks, I know that most of those guys are going to be back. So I have an expectation of what this defense can and cannot do into 2023, regardless of what's happened the last two weeks, regardless of what's going to happen the next three weeks. Rick, I want to talk about the quarterback position and the future of it, because I know a lot of the decision-making and what exactly they're going to do is going to be contingent on the head coach and, of course, who is making those front office decisions when it comes to drafting. But in these next three weeks, as you alluded to, if you put yourself in range of making a top draft pick and they end up being a quarterback, I'm not talking about anybody specific, but what does this team need at the quarterback position? What do you want to see the guy do? What do they need to do well in order to turn this thing around? Well, first of all, you need to have a coherent plan. (laughs) That is step number one. And through fault that is not their own, meaning this franchise organization, that plan has had to have changed now so many times in the last four years. And the analogy you have heard me use is that you can only pass a tire so long. At some point in time, it's going to blow. That's happened. Okay. So now it becomes stop taking somebody else's free agent. Stop trading for somebody else's guy. Go get your own guy. Go, go get the guy that you think is the next quarterback of this team for the next 10 to 15 years. We had that in Peyton Manning, one of the best of all time. Thought we had it in Andrew Luck. Fate conspired where that wasn't going to be the case. You had six or seven great years, and that was the end of that. That's a very high bar for the next guy, and I'm not sure he's going to get there. But at least you have a guy that you can build around and know that his best years are in front of him. That has not been the case over the course of the last three or four years. So that, that, that is the most important thing there. Now, secondarily, in terms of type of player, um, you know, let's face it, it's really not been an overly mobile quarterback other than last year with Carson Wentz. And so having a guy, and frankly, most of the guys that come from college football now are built this way, so I can state this, but I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to play out that way regardless. Um, you're going to have a guy that's more mobile. You're going to have a guy that's more of a, of a mobile pocket sort of guy. Um, a lot of the things that, that we think Sam Ellinger can be, maybe a guy that's just got some better natural athletic gifts than, than, than say, you know, what, what Sam has in terms of arm strength, size, et cetera, which tem- we tend to get those guys in round one instead of round number six. Um, but having a guy that is more of the modern mobile pocket running threat quarterback, dual run pass threat guy, because other than Carson Wentz, you didn't have that guy over the course of the last three or four years when you were trying to find the best available piece and make it fit. Greg Rigstraw joining us on the Motor Shop in Fishers hotline, the Motor Shop in Fishers and the MotorShop.com for all your residential and commercial motors, well, there's snowblowers, parts, equipment, so much more. The Motor Shop has you covered. You can follow Greg on Twitter at Greg Rigstraw, of course, among other occupations, post-game host for the Colts Radio Network. Greg, for the aspect to your point earlier that this team is pretty much what it is, there's not a lot that's going to change or, or fluctuate itself over these next three games or so, barring it just being a... Uh, we gave up type of deal. 
does anything move the needle in your mind for answers to what the general manager spot looks like this offseason? No, I, I get I, the die has been cast at this point in terms of what this team's record is going to be. Yes, there's a difference in terms of where they are drafting. If it's four, twelve, and one, if it's seven, nine, and one, that's a big fluctuation. But at the end of the day, do I think that makes a difference in terms of what Jim Irsay is thinking in terms of Chris Ballard? No, Chris Ballard, no, because. First and foremost, the goal was to be a playoff team, and even above that, win the AFC South. We're going to go over two on that. We're going to have the next three weeks. And so I think what you're looking at is Jim Irsay has 15 days to decide, you know, hey, don't want to give Chris one more chance. Do I think this organization is, if not heading in the right direction, is more quickly fixed by giving Chris and his staff another chance to, to, to build this again? or if he goes in a different direction. So while I can talk about things like, let me say, data collection in terms of what the individual pieces look like, in terms of what the leadership of the franchise is going to look like, I think it is all going to come down to the contemplations of Jim Irsay over the next two weeks. That's And, and, and asking me to read that, I need a much stronger level of degree than I, than I have to be able to do that. Sure. Um, so... So, again, I I think it's going to be him contemplating this over the next 14 to 15 days. And then whatever that decision is going to be, he's going to make that decision as soon as the season ends. Like, that needs to be announced either the last week of the year or the night of January the 8th, the day of January the 9th. That way everybody knows exactly what direction this thing needs to go in heading into the offseason, free agency, draft, scouting, etc. And the only reason I even asked the question, Rake, is because to your analogy about the the tire and just trying to replug it and replug it, I mean, <laughs> there's, a, there's a, a, a large amount of the that decision-making, as you all know, that goes on the foot of the GM and goes on Ballard. So at what point do you no longer trust the guy that is making right. these decisions for your tires, right? At what point do you go elsewhere for that? And that's the only reason I even poise it because obviously, sure. like you mentioned, you can't ruffle through Jim Irsay's mind, but at the same time, Ballard's had a large portion of plugging versus getting a new tire. Correct. And so at that point, it becomes a, to the way Jim Irsay feels about it and We'll see if Jim is available for combat between now and then so we can get a better idea of what exactly how the tea leaves are going to be read. Rake, when it comes to the guys that are due for new contracts, how much of these three games are going to have to do with the decision-making of the Colts whether or not to give them a new deal? Does it matter, or in your mind, is the cat already out of the bag in terms of what they want to do with these guys. Can they make a difference in these three games for getting a new contract? You know, there's, there's, there's a decent amount of free agents. It's, it's not the larger names, the heavy hitters, the linebackers are the guys that you go, you generally like what you've seen from O'Karake. You've liked what you've seen from EJ speed. It's a matter of, and this almost goes back to the Napoleon days where you knew there were some guys that, Hey, your second contract was not coming here. There was only X amount of big free agent dollars to go around. And unfortunately for you, sir, you're not going to get that here. Um, You're almost in that now. And again, what you've got to try to figure out is exactly what the health of Shaquille Leonard is going to be. If you feel confident about the health of Shaquille Leonard, then I'm not sure how much money either O'Karake or Speed are going to get. Just because this is, even though it's a base 4-3, 
It's largely a group that plays, you know, a lot of nickel because everybody plays that these days. But it's also how the Colts are built. Their primary defensive alignment has been more 4-2-5 than 4-3 over the course of the last few years. You've got Shaquille Leonard under contract. You've got Zaire Franklin under contract. I don't know, you know, exactly how much you'd like to invest or what the, even the open market's going to bear for guys like Bobby Okereke uh, and, 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 and for EJ Speed. The flip side, you know, that contract decision on offense kind of boils down to Paris Campbell. And, you know, Paris has been good, not great. But Paris' biggest stat is that he's played in every game this year. Again, I don't know what the open market's going to bear for Paris Campbell. If the Colts would like to bring him back, that is if the money is right, kind of like they did with Taekwon Lewis, you know, during the course of the offseason. So, you know, in terms of the free agent decisions, there's not the big headlining decision. There's just a handful of small ones that I think this team has to make. And obviously the much bigger decision is, hey, who's your GM going to be? Hey, who's your, who's your head coach going to be? Hey, who's your quarterback going to be? Um, and then you get to those free agent decisions like that one. Pivoting back to young players that you want to see more out of and, and see a true body of work for them. Obviously, he's had work all season, Greg, but Bernard Ryman, is, at least from a from PFF standpoint and just rewatching the games, he's looked better and looked like he's growing more into his own and this is rookie season. We know that that'd be massive for the Colts moving forward if they actually do have a true answer at, at left tackle, but, but, but how closely are you monitoring how he handles matchups like tonight whenever he draws Khalil Mack and the final three games of the season once we take off off the board that you're not going to win or lose now you're not really looking for wins anymore you're looking for those measurables of are these guys real answers to these key positions obviously it's important the next three next three games but again I I kind of think there's been enough there already where he is likely going to be your guy at least next year and again let's acknowledge You've invested heavily in left guard. You've invested heavily in center. You've invested heavily in right tackle. Part of going back to last year where I thought it was a must for the Colts to draft a left tackle in the first round, if for no other reason, you need to have him playing on the rookie wage scale. And so you've got that now in Ryman if you think he's the guy going forward. And so important, yes, but I largely think the die has been cast there and with knowing that he is still young to football, um, there is an expected jump for every player from year one to year two. I think it's safe to say he could have that. And so if it completely stinks the next three weeks, do you throw that in the pile of things you need? Maybe. But I would say right now be more of a lean to say, hey, he's your guy at left tackle going forward. Hey, Rick, I don't know how much time you've had to actually formulate an opinion since it broke about an hour ago, but just your reaction and thoughts to what happened in Denver with Nathaniel Hackett. Not surprised. I thought it was a matter of time. Um, and there are seemingly shorter leashes for head coaches now in the National Football League than ever before. But that thing has gone so bad and so far off the rails. And knowing that you and, – and I, I didn't think it was a bad trade. They made that trade for Russell Wilson because they had missed the playoffs six straight years at the time. Now that number is seven consecutive years in which they have missed the playoffs. But think about how, how miserable they are. They have a first-round pick. And, and, and the head coach was hired by basically the previous ownership group since that team just changed hands. You knew the writing was on the wall. You get housed on national TV when there's nothing else to watch 
other, unless you were watching the NBA game, you were likely watching Rams and Broncos yesterday, and the Rams stink too, and they put up 51 on you. Um, I'm, I'm almost surprised he made the team flight, to be honest with you, uh, because I thought, I thought this year and that game were that bad. Greg, how much can it be a cautionary tale? I mean, obviously the Colts are, they've made their own cautionary tales with the quarterback band-aid, but you and myself and Brendan, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like we're in the same boat of you've tried the veteran move. If the opportunity presents itself, it's time to get your own and get young. But how much could this wind up being a cautionary tale of rolling the dice once again on veteran quarterbacks, even though Russell Wilson still has an opportunity to redeem himself next season, he's had just as much blame as Hackett outside of losing the locker room or losing the sideline fighting the other day. He's had just as much blame for this as, as Hackett. No, I would agree with that. Uh, and again, it's, it's, you know, things change. Um, and, you know, from the Colts perspective, I understand the logic on every move of quarterback they have made in the last three or four years. Seriously, I get it. And I'll be the first one to say that I thought Matt Ryan was going to be an upgrade on Carson Wentz. And it wasn't. And that doesn't mean that Carson Wentz should have stayed here because I saw enough from Carson to want to move on from him at the end of last year. Let's not forget that with the way things have worked out. But things are cyclical. But, yes, as you look back with the, with the you know, 2020 hindsight, this was not the year to go out and get somebody else's quarterback now, was it? No, and, and I'm, I'm right there with you, though, on Matt Ryan. I, I really thought – and again, I, we could debate this forever. I, I still think that the Colts failed him in a number of ways as much as he failed them in terms of the O-line not being what they said it was going to be, uh, the running game never really establishing itself because of the O-line and because of Jonathan Taylor's injuries. I don't know if Matt Ryan's done, but I, I too thought it was going to be a successful operation when they brought him in. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely. Rake, I had my first fire alarm experience at a high school basketball game. Everybody had to leave New Pal and, and, and huddle outside before the Newcastle New Pal game. So that, that was an experience. I did want to ask about high school ball, though, post-Christmas. Uh, who in your mind, Rake, right now are your biggest juggernauts come March? Ben Davis. I mean, Ben Davis just went to Lawrence Central one by 16 without the top two players. So Zane Dowdy was out, and, and he was on crutches, which tells me he is unlikely. It's possible. It's unlikely he plays in the Hall of Fame Classic on Friday. K.J. Wyndham, I think, will play, because uh, I saw K.J.'s ankle injury that took place what would have now been two weeks ago um, in the win against Cathedral. He's missed their last three games. Ben Davis has been fine without him because they're so deep. Um, ben Davis will play one through nine, one through ten, and they've got kids coming off the bench or getting college looks. And that, that's how good they are. Uh, they will play number two Penn, and Penn is a team that has some size, not the athleticism, but they've got perhaps the best individual player in the state so far this year, Marcus Burton, the Notre Dame recruit. The one time I saw him had 37 and led his team from a comeback when they were down 21 to one, five and a half minutes in the game to actually go out and win. So that's my schedule on Friday because uh, I'll have those two teams plus Northwood plus North Davies in the Hall of Fame Classic out of Newcastle. The two evening games can be seen on, on Miami TV 23. The morning two games can be seen on Comcast 81. We as ISC will embark on a, uh, on a uh, torrid pace of 29 games in 75 hours. Starting tomorrow night with Cathedral and Warren Central and my first chance to see the Warriors this year. So looking forward to that. But it's going to be a hectic holiday 
And I couldn't imagine having it any other way because of the number of great tournaments that get played around the state between Christmas and New Year. Paul Logan Memorial Classic on that list as well. You can follow Greg Rakestraw on Twitter at Greg Rakestraw. And that'll be like you mentioned, 29 games in 75 hours on ISC. Uh, you mentioned on Twitter, Rake will be a part of 12 of them. Uh, you said Miami TV as well as ISC, correct, over this stretch. Keep following you and, and ISC Sportsnet on Twitter for uh, times and viewing windows. I just turned on ISC Sportsnet. Okay, okay. It's, it's, it's that simple. Okay. Um, so uh, three games on Miami TV, 23. Uh, on Comcast, 81. We will have, as I count fingers and toes, live on, on uh, television. Uh, radio will have 14 games on Comcast, 81. Uh, all of our streams from Newcastle and the uh, Phil Cox Memorial Tournament in Kokomo, which, by the way, has four top 20 teams. Those are all free, which means you'll see those on Twitter and YouTube as well. But um, just go to iscsportsnetwork.com because I'll probably be talking at some point in time between Tuesday night and Friday night. Looking forward to tracking it. Uh, enjoy Monday night tonight. Of course, catching the postgame show as well. Uh, glad to hear that Christmas holiday was well for you and your family. Happy New Year to you, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you in 2023. Sounds good, fellas. Talk soon. Thanks, Rake. That is Greg Rakestraw. And you can follow him on Twitter at Greg Rakestraw, the vice president of the ISC Sports Network, voice of the Indy 11, and a postgame show host for your Indianapolis Colts.